With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Reporting as eligible is proudly supported by Appleton Coffee Company. They're a small local roaster in Appleton, Wisconsin, and I make a pot of their Packerland breakfast blend just about every morning. I also have a very large bag of the barrel-aged coffee that I enjoy on the weekends. If you go to AppletonCoffee.com and use code RAE at checkout, you'll save yourself 10% and you will support the show. Once again, that's AppletonCoffee.com, code RAE at checkout. everybody welcome to week seven uh or episode seven of season two of reporting is eligible it is the bye week and since there's not a game to talk about we got tampa bay next week but since it's not a game to talk about we thought we would have a little fun um doing a little draft of our favorite games from the super bowl season of 2010 not not games favorite moments uh memorable things from that season so um this is a little bit of jr's baby he's been doing a, a series of columns for the journal sentinel going through game by game um that entire season so we thought we'd uh just kind of jump on that and there's like like 30 good solid like moments from that season probably more than that i had actually a hard time picking um i doubt we'll have any doubles because there are so many but uh so um uh, i'm paul noonan as per usual um jr is in urban Watos as per usual we have a special guest because matt's not here who we got i'm ryan top and i am one of the co-hosts of the milwaukee's tailgate baseball podcast and Ryan, thank you for joining us, especially on short notice and actually doing homework when I asked you to do homework. So really appreciate that as well. Um, I feel like this is added, Matab now missing two weeks in a row, and I feel like by adding a, another baseball guy to this, we are really rubbing salt in the wound because now, now <laughs> yeah, we, should, that's true. we could just talk about baseball. Well, there are literally two playoff baseball games going on as we record this. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of baseball references. It's unavoidable. Yeah, we, we, there'll be lots of uh, references, analogies, comparisons. Um, <laughs> yeah. We'll make sure to make it as unlistenable for for Matt as possible. That's that's my goal here anyway. Uh, we should punish him a little bit. Uh, anyway, um, we did not draw straws or roll dice. We just decided to pick by fiat. But JR is going to go first because um, it's kind of his thing, and he has actually the most strong opinions on, on the 2010 <laughs> season. Um, <laughs> on myths, legends, um, fat guy touchdowns, etc. Oh, so yes, um, uh, yeah. So, so first of all, let's. I want to get a little, just a tiny smidge of background. Uh, as Paul mentioned, I have been doing a series of these. I am, by the way, the trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, <laughs> and have been doing a game by game, week by week recap of the 2010 season, celebrating its 10th anniversary. Kind of apt because the Brewers. I should say, there it is. Yeah, there you Freudian, go. Woo. Baseball Freudian slip. The <laughs> Packers, the Packers are looking really good. Perhaps uh, 10 years later, they got another Super Bowl team. But uh, uh, going through game by game, enjoying sort of the 
very dubious start they had to the 2010 season. We just posted week five on Tuesday. That was a uh, a loss to Washington in uh, in in overtime. And week six does not get much better. They lose again in overtime to the Miami Dolphins. It is not a good time for the Green Bay Packers. But uh, as you know, they do bounce back and wind up going all the way to the Super Bowl. So uh, enjoying that, enjoying sort of the look back at the 10-year anniversary. And what a, what a great time to, uh, to look back here on the podcast as well. The one rule I sort of asked for is that we do not have the Super Bowl itself in our draft. We could do a draft entirely about the great moments from the Super Bowl itself. You know, the Nick Collins pick six, hoisting of the trophy, you know, you name it. Greg Jennings, there's a million things you could do there. So uh, the Greg Jennings, by the way, the throw from Aaron Rodgers, probably the best throw of Aaron Rodgers' career. So uh, so we we will not use that in this in this in this space we'll just assume that that's everybody's number one all the time 10 times over uh so without further ado the uh the number one moment that i have i think is the number one moment everyone else has i mean i have to assume that as a strong advocate of fat people with the football and (laughs) knowing that this is the moment at least for me when it was like I, i remember screaming at the tv yes they're going to the super bowl is when bj raji all how many 300 and what 40 pounds of him dropped back into coverage dropped back into coverage (laughs) intercepted caleb haney chicago bears backup quarterback returned it to the house the greatest pick six in in packers history i'm saying that off the top of my head i i don't know if there's any competition i'm assuming it's the greatest in packers history uh that was the moment gave the packers the points they needed to win the nfc championship game you've got the rivalry game with the bears you've got the stakes of a super bowl on the line you have a fat glorious man with the football in his hands doing what might have been a dance i'm not even sure it was more of just a swing of the hips it was kind of a kind of an on the spot weird thing to dance I mean, and then it turned into a commercial. So like (laughs) that, yeah, that, that launched his, his one commercial that he had with Rogers. What was that? A a state farm commercial or whatever? Yeah. Come on, do the Raji. I don't even remember the tune very well, but uh, show me what you've got Raji. It's something like that. That one. That (laughs) That Uh, is it. It's just a breath of glorious fresh air. Picturing BJ Raji returning to the house. Who doesn't have that? image in their head that was on the front of the journal Sentinel where he's holding the football out supersize it yep. beautiful headline that's my number one there is probably there is no other number one that is the first overall draft choice if the super bowl's off the table that's the one and just that knowing that that like crushed the bears fans so much and that there's like echoes of you know refrigerator perry in there in and it's in their building that they're having to watch that and that celebration and that the packers got that and it was just you know, a dumb luck, stupid thing that their their quarterback like didn't see a, a big man dropping into coverage, and yep. they have to live with that for the rest of their lives on highlights. And it's absolutely perfect. It's glorious. I did it not is. even think of the Perry thing. That's good. It is good. Um, also, that's a good one because we've talked a lot on the podcast in the past about how much Dom Capers relied and created turnovers. It was it was his thing. It was the entire reason that his defenses succeeded. And this play is a Dom Capers created interception. Uh, when Caleb Haney came in, um, he had the reason that BJ Razi, big man, you know, not usually in pass coverage, dropped into pass coverage is because when Haney came in, they knew how he would react and specifically react to pressure. So they brought a blitz on him and then um, they put BJ right where his hot route throw was. And as predictable as ever, the fact that Haney was in there, he just gunned it exactly where they thought he was going to based on tape. Uh, right into Raji, right in the breadbasket for a touchdown. So also just a brilliant bit of defensive coordinating and just, you know, great on Raji to execute too. That's uh, even if you don't, you know, knocking it down is one thing. Actually having the presence of mind to grab that thing is really incredible. 
Um, it, it's too bad he wasn't better longer, but the big guys, they don't, they don't last so, so well most of the time. What was it that Dom got him? Capers, knee injury? Um, I, you know what? I should have looked. I, I, didn't he have off the field trouble too? He, I, I think he had a litany of injuries. I mean, he's one of those guys yeah. that walked away super early. He could have, he could have kept playing. He could have fought yes, through he it. Have. But, uh, but elected to do what was the smart, the smart thing for his personal well-being, which you can't, you know, you can't knock. Nope, absolutely um, not. You know, Dom Capers will not be remembered fondly for his tenure in Green Bay. He's a bit of a villain, but. Uh, I do think it's important to point out that he did have a pretty good hand. I mean, this is a team, this 2010 team was, I think most people remember, just crushed by injuries. And the defensive line was absolutely no exception. Cullen Jenkins and Ryan Pickett, Jenkins broke his hand in week one and pretty much played with a club going forward. He was often on the field. Pickett was big for that team, but he had his share of injuries. At one point in the middle of the season, actually, one of these games I've just been writing about, it was C.J. Wilson, Jarius Wynn, and B.J. Raji were the three healthy defensive linemen. Yep. And and they even had some impact. I mean, those guys, Jarius Wynn and C.J. Wilson, are not memorable pieces, but they had an impact. But B.J. Raji's a linchpin there. I mean, he, he, he didn't get the stats that his draft classmate Clay Matthews did that year, but he was very, very important. Obviously, the uh, pick six is not, you know, not a typical thing, for, you know, p- not part of his repertoire normally. But, um, you know, that was just a, a really, really great note. Uh, I don't know if people remember how quickly the Bears got back into it. They had a touchdown less than, I want to say less than a minute and a half had gone by. Uh, the touchdown to Earl Bennett that made it a one-score game again. Yep. And, and, and there were some Bennett. tense moments at the end. Uh, Sam Shields finally puts it away with an interception, but uh, that BJ Raji touchdown is the thing we all remember. Yeah, I remember ESPN used to do a thing where I don't even know it was somewhere on the website way off the beaten path where they had a thing that was for gamblers and it was which players in the NFL would move a line the most if they were suddenly taken out of a team's lineup. And I remember looking at that during this era. It was probably a year or two down the road. And Rogers was obviously like number one in the NFL in this. But the number two Packer on the list, and I think he was in even like maybe the top 30, was Raji. And he was that big of a line mover that if he was out of a game, they were going to be moving the line that much. So it was it was really something I was I was really floored by it. But that is it's kind of a reminder of how good he was. uh, It is. uh, You know, those big guys up front really do make everything go. Um, uh, You know, we think of edge rushers and I would say corners now, maybe more than anybody else. But uh if Matthews was out, there were other guys to supply pass rush, especially on that team. And uh, they had a pretty deep secondary as well. So I kind of do get that. He was certainly one of the more irreplaceable guys on the team without question. Uh, all right. Well, Ryan, would you like to take the number two overall pick? Yeah, I'm going to go back. Uh, I guess it would be one game to the divisional playoff round. And the kind of clinching moment for that thing, because really the second half was more of a joyous victory march than anything else. And it was because with what was about 10 seconds left on the clock in the first half, the uh, Falcons had the ball and they were driving and Matt Ryan threw a very ill-advised pass that uh, Tremont Williams jumped all over and took back for a pick six. But I want to focus specifically on (laughs) a thing that when I watched this replay a bunch of times, Uh, there's a a great little bit here where Matt Ryan comes scrambling over to try to make the tackle and actually takes out Tony Gonzalez, who looked like he had a pretty clear path and would have been able to tackle Tremont. (laughs) And and Ryan basically just cuts Gonzalez's knees right out from under him. It's like almost a perfect chop block and just 
takes him out of the play completely. So yeah, Matt Ryan taking out Tony Gonzalez on Tremont Williams pick six is my uh, is my moment number one. <laughs> Uh, very cl- very clever. Uh, Tony Gonzalez was very old at that time. So Tremont's oh. never been a super speedster, but I think he probably could have turned it on to outrun him. I had, although I haven't watched it, so maybe I'm wrong. But uh, that does surprise me a little bit that that, that happened. Uh, although not that Matt Ryan took him out because Matt Ryan, um, not not the most coordinated, one of the only good tall quarterbacks. Um, they their small motor skills not great. That's a fun one. That, that is a fun one. That, that play, um, I remember when I, I was watching that play in a, a liquor store in Minnesota on a random um, TV that they had set out visiting somewhere up here with my wife. And um, she was grocery shopping. And, and in Minnesota, um, the liquor stores are separate from the grocery stores. It's a law. They have lots of ridiculous liquor laws up here. It is unfortunate. But I managed to duck out of grocery shopping to uh, the accompanying liquor store and found a TV. So um, I, I'm, I'm guessing we were up here for some kind of family issue because that's the only most of the reasons we travel up here. But it was a nice respite, and I actually got to see that play. And uh, you know, it had been a depressing run up to that play. The Packers had kind of um, had a down first half, or at least you know got off to a really bad start, started to rally back a little bit, and then when, once they got that play, um, it, it was kind of the sign that. This is gonna. This is gonna go okay. This is gonna be, maybe not a route, but they're in control of this now, and they're not looking back. They rattled off 28 unanswered points, I think. So, um, j- just a, one of the most outstanding plays probably in Packer history. You know, the corners are good in the playoffs at doing this kind of thing. Actually, this happens fairly routinely. <laughs> yeah, and the think- D- the DBs there were so good. I mean, we had Sam Shields as the undrafted rookie, and right, undrafted. Undrafted, yep. yeah. Yeah, and then Tremont was undrafted a few years before and had maybe come off of another team or whatever, and then you had the uh, Hall he was of Famer. The, uh, he was on the Texans before, and he okay. came off of their practice squad and claimed as a, also also a UDFA. Um, so, yeah, um, they did. that was when Ted was doing his best work at, uh, at corner identification, for sure. I do think people remember that Tremont kind of took a star turn this season. He has the interception at the yeah. end of the Eagles game in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, that that clinched it when it was definitely still in doubt. He has that 70-yard interception return that you're talking about at halftime, right before halftime. To, uh, to, I mean, that would have been a one-score game. You know, we think of that as a boat race from the word go, but, you know, it was, <laughs> it was definitely a contest. It was, it was. 21-14 until Tremont takes that back. And there, this is really – Charles Woodson was coming off of really his – just a spectacular 2009 season. But 2010, he – he was slow a step and and yeah. this is where the conversation really begins about maybe moving him to safety yep and that's possible because Tremont Williams became such a star he was really really great and uh obviously that showed up in the playoffs and and the, the Packers are really lucky he stayed healthy because they struggled in the secondary Morgan Burnett was lost early in the year with a with a season ending injury in his rookie year um you know Charlie Pepra was oh yeah Charlie together Pepra. In the safety class and he'd had injuries but he was he was actually pretty important for them um and uh and having Tremont sort of as a as a old reliable not old reliable but just reliable <laughs> back there uh was he, he, he was old reliable nine years later when he was back with the Packers but um but he's uh he was pretty special yep he also had the uh he was also defending Mike Wallace on the final play of the Super Bowl um uh, on the the Steelers fourth and five attempt to keep the game going and played just excellent defense without committing a penalty. Um, and 
I feel like everybody was like, what? No penalty. They didn't pick it up. Game's over. Wow. That's a, that never happens. You never just got like a clean break on fourth down. Something always goes wrong. So um, it, he was outstanding in the most clutch moments of the season. So, all right. Um, I, I'm going to go. Um, I'll, I'll go next. And I'm going to go not off the board a little bit, um, but back up to, I think, the game that gets ignored in the playoff run a little bit, which is the Eagles game. Um, I so love that game. That game is underrated it was very competitive um it, the Packers won that game 21-16 it was close for a long time it was a defensive struggle um everybody had trouble but um their the most important play of that game um was a a touchdown late in the third quarter um on a screen pass to Brandon Jackson if you listen to this podcast you know Brandon Jackson is one of my favorite players because he is, he does all of the soft skill stuff that running backs don't get credit for, but that are frankly more important. So he is the best pass blocking running back I've ever seen still to this day. Um, nobody could pick up a blitz better than him, especially since he was outweighed by just a ton. He's not a huge guy. And also one of the best receiving backs the team's ever had. Um, so the reason it was such an important play is um, the play before uh, um, Darren College committed a holding penalty, put them in second and 16. Uh, from the Philadelphia 16-yard uh, uh, line. And that's not a good situation to be in. It's very likely they're going to get a field goal there. If they get a field goal, their lead is much more tenuous than if they punch it in. And then the actual play itself, if you actually go and watch it, um, it's hard to run screen passes from that close to the goal line and have them be successful, uh, simply because the field is so condensed. There's a lot of defenders you know, close to the ball to fight through all your blockers. And Jackson catches the ball, and he's way out ahead of all of the line, uh, the linemen that are supposed to be blocking for him, including college. Um, and does the smart thing that's hard for running backs to do, which is he stops, waits for all the linemen to catch up, and then just basically rides Darren College into the end zone. Just, just left side, right side, left side, right side, cuts it perfectly. Uh, just a perfect blend of patience um, and uh, cutting slick moves to basically put the game away with that touchdown and make sure the Packers got to go on to the next game because – it was it was no sure thing at that point in the game, and the uh, the Falcons the Falcons. So the reason I said Falcons is because Mike Vick was actually the quarterback of the Eagles at, for this game. Um, they would come back and score a touchdown later to make it 21-16, and without that, this game the last thing you want is a close game against the Eagles in the playoffs. We've seen that go wrong many times <laughs> in the past, and um, it just gave them the cushion that they were able to ride out on the defense and get enough stops on Vick to stop it. So. Um, that play is underrated. It is a like quintessential great football play uh, that in very difficult circumstances from a player that I love watching. So um, that's and, and very high leverage. And the the, the Falcons game also, uh, you know, obviously the next two playoff games in the Super Bowl more so, but it almost got derailed early, and he helped them stay stay the course. So that's mine. Yeah, Brandon Jackson is never going to jump off the page, <clears throat> stats wise. I think I'm looking at the stats that game, three rushes, 10 yards, two catches, 27 yards. You know, no one will think of Brandon Jackson. <laughs> I, I think what people might remember is that Marshawn Lynch was available coming from the Buffalo Bills that year. Uh, and uh, Ted Thompson declined to trade for him as many Packers fans wanted him to do, even though Ryan Grant was injured in the first game of the season, also against the Eagles. And that left, it was Brandon Jackson. It was James Starks who was on the physically unable to perform list. He hadn't even, yep, he, he hadn't even played play for the first several games of the season. 
Dimitri Nance, a guy that they just kind of signed, and and John Kuhn. I mean, John Kuhn was taking a lot of carries. He was. I mean, he had a ton of carries this season. Yeah. I mean, in all honesty, they were just pass, 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 pass. They would go entire series without handing off the ball. It became a big thing early in the year how Mike McCarthy was abandoning the run, which, you know, whatever, rinse, repeat. It was like that a lot of years in Green Bay, but um, – <laughs> But Brandon Jackson was legit, like you said, and that's one of the reasons why they didn't go out and trade for Marshawn Lynch. Now, Marshawn Lynch ended up being obviously very, very good for a long period of time with Seattle, so I think they probably could have, you know, maybe done something there. But um, but, but Brandon Jackson, James Starks, the running game, again, very underrated component of the Super Bowl run, but uh, but do not get the credit that they that they really do deserve. Yep, if you want parallels also, the, the best comp for Brandon Jackson is Jamal Williams right now, who is also just not a great not a great runner, but does all the same stuff well. He's very good at catching the ball. He is an excellent pass protector. Um, he is much better than Aaron Jones, especially as a pass protector. And, you know, he, he actually gets a good amount of credit, but not for the right stuff. So <laughs> um, I'll, I'll always point that out for him. So. How much do you need right. with a guy like that? How much do you need to give them the ball on the run just to keep the other team honest that honest. you're not going to be passing? Like every not, single time. Not much. Um, you, you, that threat does have to be there so they don't completely cheat. But you re- establishing the run for any purpose barely matters. You, like, it would be fine to give him, like, three carries, four carries a game, which is what Brandon Jackson usually got. So I would say he was used pretty appropriately for the most part. Um, but, yeah, the, establishing the run, kind of a myth. Not entirely a myth. But you can run play action. Um without ever doing it and you know that's defensive players biting so the same principle kind of applies generally speaking now, it, there's probably is a level where you could do it not enough but no nfl team has hit that quite yet i should point out before we move on i glossed over james starks this game this philly game is the james starks game it is 23 carries 123 yards this was his breakout he was great mm-hmm. definitely oh now uh, it's my turn though it is you we're up we're back to jr round two pick one all right, let's go with something that didn't happen in a Packer game. This is a personal oh, conquest man. of mine, a personal <laughs> quest. To this day, it's a battle that I'm fighting. I, I, I don't know why I care this much. It makes no sense, but this is a very near and dear cause to me, friends. I can't handle it that people continue to say that the Deshaun Jackson touchdown against the Giants had anything to do with the Packers getting into the Super Bowl. It did not. It was a crazy play. It's known as the new miracle at the new Meadowlands. It happened in week 15, December 19th, when the New York Giants inexplicably punted a really short, terrible line drive punt to Deshaun Jackson, kind of trying to, as they were trying to run out the clock, Deshaun Jackson, one of the more dynamic playmakers in the NFL at the time, particularly in the return game. He returns it for a touchdown. The Eagles stun the Giants and uh, place goes crazy. A lot of people believe that that loss taken by the Giants is ultimately what kept the Packers or, or got the Packers into the playoffs over the Giants. The Giants, uh, the Packers ended up beating the Giants the following week, which was a very important win. Uh, but but that that had nothing to do with it. Now now it, I have to point out I have to point out that like you don't really know how much an, an outcome affects what comes after. You know, in terms of mentality, in terms right. of personnel. You know, there are many different sliding doors. So I, I am assuming that all other outcomes remain the same. Uh, I've written about this at jsonline.com about how this punt did not alter the course of history like we think it did, <laughs> that the Packers still would have gotten into the playoffs. Check the tiebreakers. It's all there for you. They would have still gotten in the playoffs. The only difference is they would have played the Giants in the first round 
and not Philadelphia in the first round, which, you know, the Packers have not had great success against the Giants in the postseason. So maybe that would have been the death knell. And we, we don't even talk about the 2010 season. But, you know, I, I think it's, a, you know, whatever. So the thing that really bothers me about it more than anything else is that there was another thing that happened that same week that was actually much more important to the Packers getting in. And it was a win by the lowly Detroit Lions, led by quarterback virtuoso Sean Hill, who beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa 23-20 in overtime. Dave Rayner with a game-winning kick. And why that was <laughs> why that was so important. That was Dave Rayner. I know, right? He was with the Packers, wasn't he? Am I making that up? No, I think that's true. I, I think I'm pretty sure it's true. So uh that loss, first of all, it was a stunner because the, the Lions had lost 26 consecutive games on the road. That dated back to early in the 2007 season. This was a three-year <laughs> thing where they didn't win on the road. So they go into Tampa. They beat a team that was competing for a playoff spot. If Tampa wins that game, they finish with a better record than the Packers. They finish 11-5, and five, and the Packers do not go to the playoffs. Tampa gets one of those last spots. Uh, the Packers at 10 and 6, they, they don't even compete in a wild card. But as it turned out, the Packers had the wild card over Tampa Bay uh, and wound up getting in over the Buccaneers, who were then left out of the playoffs. But without that outcome, that crazy outcome, it doesn't happen. So it's it's just it's just very important to me that the record be set straight. That Deshaun Jackson thing was crazy, but that's not the thing. The lucky break that got the Packers in. If you want to talk about a lucky break, it was the fact that the Lions somehow won in Tampa Bay. Philly did do the the Packers a favor by beating the Vikings late in the season, uh, and that or wait the other way around. The Vikings beat Philadelphia kind of surprisingly, shocking. It was like a fourteen point spread, beat them, and that made it so that the Bears in the final week of the season they were the locked in as the two seed. So the Bears didn't have to play quite as meaningful, you know, didn't have to didn't have to worry about winning that last game against the Packers that they had to have. The Packers had to have. Uh, to get into the playoffs at all, and the uh, Packers end up winning that game to get in, of course. But uh, but that that locked things in for the Bears and made things potentially less less important for Chicago. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind as well. But that's rant over. I, I did not realize or remember that that game was so important. And having to rely on the Lions for anything is never a good position to be in. So by the way, confirmed. Dave Rayner, uh, 2006 with the Packers, uh, was in the NFL for six seasons, played for eight teams, and. Uh, was a oh was a kickoff specialist for most of those, but did kick field goals for uh, seven of those eight teams. So um, weird career for that guy. Not even bad. Um, yeah, it kind of tapered off at the end there with some sixties. That's never good to see. But uh, no, he was money that day. That's all yeah. that mattered. Thank goodness they were playing Sean Hill in that game, um, who was definitely their best um, backup quarterback at the time. Uh, not not a bad backup quarterback in the grand scheme of things there are a lot of worse players to have than sean hill um and the lions have had many of them but man i that's a that is a huge upset i totally forgot that happened so yep that is a good one that's what i'm saying man history doesn't remember it right no they don't everybody remembers deshaun even i until i i got yelled at by you once remember deshaun <laughs> We'll never make that mistake again. I called into a local radio program a few years ago when they were talking about how that was such a lucky break for the Packers. And I'm like, hey, go back and look. That that kick didn't matter. And the, the radio host, the screener who was on the show was like, no, I'm pretty sure it did. I'm like, seriously, just go back and look. The Eagles wouldn't have even had the record to get in. The Giants and Eagles just flip-flop, essentially. He's like, no, no, everyone knows that it's, it's the thing. And, and that was how I left it. I'm like, it's all there for you. It's all easy math. I, I, I can't believe that local talk radio got something wrong. <laughs> 
it I mean, is I've truly got stuff an upset. wrong too. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> All right. All right, Ryan, what do you got? All right. Staying in week 15, actually. Uh, And and to set the scene, you already did this a little bit, but I believe remembering back on this, we knew going into that night's game against the New England Patriots after that Lions win, we knew at that point that the game against New England wasn't going to mean anything. That if we knew Rodgers was out and we knew that if that game was not going to matter, we knew that basically what they were going to need to do was win those last two games, regardless of what happened in New England. If they won those last two games, they were in. If they lost those last two games, they weren't going to be in. And that's because of tiebreakers. They were the NFC opponents and, and right. they would basically, have had tiebreaker edge. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Control their own destiny, basically, regardless so, of that. Happening. So that kind of took the pressure off a little bit, but everybody expected you're going into New England you're playing a night game. This is obviously peak era, Tom Brady, Belichick, all of that. And the Packers went in with a backup quarterback with Matt Flynn, right? It was it was Flynn. And it was Matt Flynn, yeah. It was yeah. Matt Flynn. And they ended up losing but 27 to 30 or yeah, 27 to 31. And I remember coming out of that game going they went on the road and they took the Patriots to the wall with a backup quarterback. If they can get Rodgers back, this team could potentially be really, really scary for anybody to have to deal with if they can get him back and if he can be healthy because he was coming off of, was that a concussion at Detroit the week before? That it was, was a concussion, yes. Yeah. And so, His second concussion of the year, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Very dicey. Lots of, lots of weird luck in him not being out longer with concussion, too. Uh-huh. Yeah. Luck. Luck. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yep. But anyway, yeah. So that was it was a weird situation because that's the rare case where a loss really almost is a moral victory because you played them so close because they're such a good team and you you held them close without your star quarterback on the road at night and they were able to to show that if they could get things back together and you talked about this already they were dealing with so many injuries that year I remember just seeing. Every week they would stack up and they lost so many close games. What was it? They they lost every game that year. They they didn't lose a game by more than six, was it? And then when they'd win, they'd win by a million, like pretty much every time almost. Yeah, they had a couple of clunky wins, too. But, yeah, it was two losses in the last second, two others in overtime and mm-hmm. two without Aaron Rodgers. Those are your six losses of the year. Yeah. And so you you look at that, and I think some of the other ones, like Clay Matthews was out for, right? So it was like the Washington. Yeah, he, missed, he missed misses. one game, yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so there were there were a bunch of weird things that happened in that season, and obviously when they won, they, they won by quite a bit. And so the, the point differential for that season was indicative of the kind of team they probably really were, but they just had so many games that were kind of derailed by a, a, a rash of stupid injuries. And yep. that New England game would be emblematic of that. And so once they started to kind of get it back together and you started to see it, that really stood out as this. Uh, it is stupid to say moral victory, but it it really did sort it of is, show that they were a quality team. Yeah, it's a, it is a good bellwether. So um, over the course of that season, this is one where advanced stats did catch the Packers as much better than the record indicated. They ended up finishing um, third overall in DVOA. Um, the Steelers were second and the Patriots were first. It is go. one of the best Patriots teams uh, to not win the Super Bowl. They were number one in offense by by kind of a country mile, actually. <laughs> um, their offensive just their offensive DVOA, the Patriots for the year was forty two point eight percent, 
Um, oh my God. The Packers were 11.9. The Packers were seventh in offense that year. And Houston, who was second in offense somehow, um, Arian Foster had a good year, was 21.6. So basically, the Patriots were twice as good as the next best team on offense. Uh, they were not a good defensive team, as a lot of those that era Belichick teams were not. But uh, being able to to almost eke out a win against them is a is a good sign that you've got something special going on. You know, speaking of games that didn't involve the Packers, we should maybe uh, – it's certainly not one I was going to talk about or on my list or anything, but the Jets, the six-seeded Jets beating that Patriots team in the divisional round of the playoffs, 28-21, that stunner, that might, that might be something we don't really think about. Like, what if the Patriots, that Patriots team – gets all the way to the Super Bowl, it could be a very different outcome. I mean, I can't I can't believe Mark Sanchez is one of the few quarterbacks to beat Tom Brady in the playoffs. That's just a stunning reality. It is very crazy, but that was that was the peak Jets defense. And um they basically didn't give up any points all year. They were incredible. That they um if you uh if you do get a chance to read or listen to the audiobook Collision Low Crossers, which is about that era Jets team. It features Mike Patton as a, a character prominently. Um, and uh, also, shoot, um, Badger defensive coordinator, help me out. Jim, Jim Leonard. Leonard. Jim Leonard. Also Jim Leonard um, as a prominent character. Um, it's, a, it's a great listen, and it really goes over why that defense was so good and why it eventually broke down. Um, but also worth mentioning, the Packers played that Jets team, too. And that Jets team did a number on them as well. The, the Packers won that game nine to nothing. Yeah, uh, buddy. And, uh, and had no no luck at all moving the ball. Um, got a few defensive stops and field goals, and that's how that one went. So that Jets team had one of the best defenses ever uh, behind Revis and a ton of other great players. And uh, they, they earned that one. Antonio Cromartie. Yeah, and Antonio Cromartie on the other side. They earned that victory. They really did. Yeah. I, also, I will say, if the Patriots do meet the Packers in that Super Bowl, I still think the Packers win um, because the Patriot defense was so bad and the Packer offense by that time was so good. I don't think that they get a stop all game. I think the Packers score every time against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Well, and so. the Packers' defensive backfield was really good and was really handing it to the Steelers until they had all those injuries in the, That's also the second true. quarter. Like, yeah, they really lost broke guys. all their bones. Yeah. yeah. And getting back to that game Ryan mentioned, I mean, Matt Flynn threw three touchdowns. That game ends deep in inside New England's red zone. The, the Packers had a fourth and one. I believe it's a fumble that ends uh, ends that game. So the Packers would, you know, if they had scored there, if they had engineered that last drive and finished off, they win the game. They beat New England. And, uh, I mean, it would have been at Lambeau, but with Matt Flynn at the helm, that would have been quite, you know, quite the upset, quite the quite the moment, like, like Ryan said, in sort of a showcase game. Uh, but uh, but yeah, he's right. That definitely was a bellwether that this team this team's the full package. One hundred percent. All right. So I suppose I'm up with the end of the second round here. Um, I I am going to go. I got two. I'm going to go with um, what I always refer back to as the invention of Jordy Nelson. Um, so <laughs> over the course of the season, Jordy Nelson was an important player, but he was definitely second to Greg Jennings. Um, for most of the season, Donald Driver was still doing a lot of damage this season, even though he was getting up there. Um, Jones, he, honestly, he was just a, he was kind of a guy in the background, wasn't he? And if Jordy? you look at, yeah. And so everybody remembers Jordy um, from the Super Bowl, doing a couple good things there, um, some good playoff moments. But over the course of the season, he only had 582 yards receiving. Um, it was one of his lower per, um, per yard per reception seasons at 12.9. He was actually a little better, smaller sample before that, and he would always be better after that. Um, so he wasn't really the sort of big play Jordy that you would see yet. 
Um, but you get to the Giants game late in the season um, in the first quarter, and um, it's Aaron's first con- game back from concussion, and he rips off an 80-yarder to Jordy Nelson. Um, Jordy's previous long reception on the season, I think, was 24 yards. It was in the 20s. So, you know, he'd had some big plays, but not like kind of tight end big plays, not receiver big plays. And for the first time, he rips off this giant, um, this giant, huge touchdown, gets him on the board immediately. It basically buries the Giants right away without anything. You know, you don't have to worry about that game right after that play happens. And from that point forward, he was kind of the Jordy we all know and love. Um, he, he was much more consistent, making much bigger plays down the field. He really became either the uh, still second banana to Jennings, who was incredible all season long and in the playoffs. But he was the the guy right there with him as the, the solid number two, um, pushing driver down to three. And um, they they were unstoppable once that happened. So um, I view that as a key moment of development for the offense to really start putting it on people and rolling into the playoffs. Also, that 80 that ADR touchdown is also incredible to watch. So as almost all ADR touchdowns are. Yeah, that Giants game was key. This is, the, again, the game after they got beat by the numerical, the new, new Meadowlands. So they were reeling a little bit. You didn't know how they'd respond. It was an absolute must win. I don't recall the circumstances precisely if that's a win or go home game for the two teams. But uh, obviously the Giants ended up not going to the playoffs. The Packers did. That was pretty much a, I mean, it, it was a must win. The Packers, the Packers, I, I don't know if there was a road for them to make the playoffs without, a, without at least a ton of help if they lose that yeah. game. And to establish it, you know, this wasn't this wasn't like first first sequence of the first first quarter, but uh, you know, eight minutes in, they've got this eighty yard touchdown, and that set the tone for for what was a blowout. That was they, probably they, their best game besides the Atlanta game in the playoffs. Yes, they destroyed the Giants after that. Also, um, Giants era, teams of that era very important to make them play from behind if you can, which this helped do. And Eli had a, I would say, a very Eli game through four interceptions. Um, was just pressured and trying to catch up all game long. And also, I hate the Giants for what they do to us in the playoffs so frequently. So, um, yeah, also just nice to see them get destroyed um, as much as possible. Is that curse over with the the Hail Mary? Well, one of the many Hail Mary games. I think so. I think we're past that. Yeah. Um, uh, the one thing that is, uh, curses are stupid, but they also did beat us once just by running the ball 800 times, uh, um, and that still happens to the Packers too often. So, um, <laughs> but I think that's its own curse, not a Giant specific one. They're just a symptom of it. Well, those big defensive lines and actually the Jason Pierre Paul thing this week made me think of those old Giants uh, yeah. defensive lines <laughs> with with his uh, I don't know. Is that smack talk exactly? Or what would you what would you classify that? Some dismissive David Bakhtiari talk. That's yeah, a, that's an interesting <laughs> idea. Yeah, good idea. Good thought. Let's see how I this uh, plays out is. for him. Jeez. Yeah, I love it. Love those guys who are like, uh, oh, I, I, is he good? I don't know. I don't watch the film. I, I wouldn't know a lot about him. I'm like, uh huh. <laughs> I, I think you know. I think you know what you're uh, what you're doing there. That, that he does. All right, um, Jr. Want to finish out round or uh, start out round three here? One of my one of the reasons this series I'm doing is so fun is because they're really these games. There are a lot of interesting stories in these games. There are some clunkers. I mean, you mentioned that Jets game, that 9 nothing game is kind of interesting just because it's so much of a clunker. Uh, but there aren't too many games that don't have a pretty significant storyline. I think because the three, really the four postseason games were so interesting and exciting, you forget a lot of what happened during this regular season. And if, if it weren't for that, I think we would remember this game against the Minnesota Vikings uh, where, where Brett Favre comes back. Uh, oh, this is so good. Yep. 
Yep, this is no, week seven, uh, November. Which one is this? Week no, uh, October. No, October, October twenty fourth, week seven, and uh, Brett Favre had beaten the Packers. He'd been with the Vikings the previous year, beaten them both times. The Packers did not sack Favre in either game. Uh, he was he was pretty dang good. I think he might have only thrown one interception between the two games. Uh, he had pretty much given it to the Packers. The moment was his. They go to the NFC Championship game. There's this great moment of Green Bay schadenfreude in the NFC Championship game where Favre's interception <laughs> sends the Saints to the Super Bowl. And then he comes back again. He had said he was going to retire during before the 2010 season started or early in the 2010 season. So we'd all heard that before, but it was possible this was his last visit ever to Lambeau. That turned out to be true. It was his last um, and he was, he was faring well. The Vikings were not having a great start to the season, but they had traded for Randy Moss after right at the trade deadline. They got him back. Of course, famously Favre wanted Ted Thompson to trade for Randy Moss in green Bay, the weapon that he never got. He's finally united with in Minnesota. And so this is an opportunity against green Bay for Favre to really stick it to him. And it's on Sunday night football. It's a great game. It is a, a, a really important sort of pivot moment for the Packers who had started the season three and three coming into this game. They win it. Uh, Brett Favre throws three interceptions in a span of 10 plays. One of which <laughs> is just a horrendous short pass over the middle, right into the arms of Desmond Bishop that he returns 20 yards for a pick six. Uh, those were the points that, that, that ended up winning the game. The Packers win the game 28-24. It comes down to the absolute last moment. Brett Favre appears to have thrown a touchdown to Percy Harvin with under a minute to go to give the Vikings the lead. Replays clearly show that he stepped out of bounds on the second foot, so that play is overturned. He throws to Moss twice after that. Once, just completely overthrows him out of the end zone. Another that I think Moss could have caught. I mean, it wasn't a super easy catch, but we'd seen Randy Moss make those catches. Yep. Drops it on fourth down. Packers prevail. You know, just a massive two teams going in opposite directions at that point. The Packers, it's their first of four in a row. Uh, at the end of that fourth, that fourth win actually is another win over the Vikings. The Vikings at that point are three and seven. They fire Brad Childress. Brett Favre is injured. He his Ironman streak is a couple weeks away from ending. Randy Moss gets cut. I mean, it's like everything goes wrong for them. Uh, but this was this was as electric a moment as they had during the regular season at Lambeau Field. The place was just losing their minds. They finally got the best of Brett Favre. Uh, it was a pretty special night, and uh, like I said, I think it disappears under the weight of what happened in the postseason, but this was uh, this was the fulcrum upon which their season sort of pivoted. It, it was a really, really exciting moment. Yeah, and an insane game. So Desmond Bishop also, uh, Randy Moss was the intended target on that interception. Uh, so little bump and run? A little, little bump and run. And uh, Bishop, one of the uh, better Packer interior linebackers of – the last oh, decade we can still squeak him in um and another guy who just kind of declined pretty quickly because i think he did suffer some kind of terrible injury um right after the super bowl but um made one of the uh, again one of the great plays of the super bowl um on the fumble that clay caused he was the recoverer i believe um and just was uh just a total missile at getting to the ball in the hole every single time and good in pass coverage which we haven't seen in forever but the other crazy thing about that game is um that uh, that Percy Harvin pass that got overturned was on first and 30. The the Vikings kept shooting themselves in the foot. Big um, Jarius Winsack in that sequence to set him back. Yeah, and Phil Lodholt got a face mask Ooh. penalty on him. and Because Clay surprising. Matthews burned him, got yeah. him beat. <laughs> also, he is a dirty player, so um, not surprising <laughs> there. Um, but uh, 
it was far of just winging it into the end zone on first and second and 30. And then um, the Moss choking at the end and also causing the interception to some extent was just beautiful. So um, just a wonderful game all around. The only thing that could have happened that would have been better is an Adrian Peterson fumble, which I'm trying to check and see if that happened or not, but I don't think it did. Mm-hmm. I think he was clean. No, Peterson had a good game. That Dirt ball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were a lot of Vikings fans there very loud when they, when they scored what appeared to be that touchdown. There's obviously at this point, a lot of fans in green Bay who are far fans who haven't quite, you know, gotten over the situation from, from three years prior, yep. that soap opera divorce that he and the Packers had. So you know, there were a lot of Packers fans at Green Bay who kind of relished in Brett Favre sticking it to the old team. So, uh, so this was this was sort of a moment for everybody. But it was yeah. absolutely the moment that the Packers and Aaron Rodgers too, you know, sort of bypassed the specter of Brett Favre. Indeed, um, old man Brett. I never understood the rooting for Brett versus rooting for the team, but whatever. Uh, he did regular commercials. <laughs> <laughs> he's oh, a fun guy. He's a fun guy. I knew multiple people who dropped the Packers as a team as a result of that and then ended up rooting for at least the Vikings when Favre was there and then ran off and and did other things. I think some of them ended up becoming Seahawks fans, which that's really yeah, that's that's just a level of obnoxiousness that we need not go into (laughs) because no, that's truly awful. So. Uh, I kind I, of assumed those those fans were a myth that they didn't really turn their back on the Packers for good. Uh, I'm sure that they exist. Some people just, um, you know, they, they root for they root for people that, you know, Michael Jordan has fans and Brett Favre had fans, too. And mm-hmm. some people just like Brett and like John Madden talking about Brett, and like Brett throwing hard and um, like redneck cliches about quarterbacks playing. So. <laughs> it. Especially, you know, good fit in Green Bay. Got to say that. If you're so going to be in the North. That was going to be my pick was the the Brett Favre, uh, the three interception game and just getting outplayed by Rodgers at Lambeau that, that time. So I had to, to call an audible on the thing, especially because I didn't know that we weren't allowed to pick the Super Bowl. So that that dropped a couple oh no, of no. my list. So that was. Yeah. So anyway. I'm going to go with that really strange game to end the year because I think it gets missed. And I remember watching it with a Bears fan. So oh, the Bears game? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A weird, weird game. It is a super weird game. And you're probably going to remember more of the details of this than I am. But I just remember it being – I the way I remember it was the Bears weren't trying. Like, they wanted the Packers to get in the into the playoffs for some reason, or they just didn't care. And, like, they were so – they they were in the midst of one of their stupid seasons where everything goes right for them, which – They were. That is very true. Which, 2001, I was living with a Bears fan in college when – that was the Jim Miller, Anthony Thomas. They went, like, 13-3, and three and it was just – everything was stupid. Like, every win was dumb. They – every single <laughs> one was some stupid fluke. They beat the Packers on a missed extra point that year. Um, I was at that game. It was infuriating. Also, oh, Jim, Miller, Jim Miller, one of the best quarterbacks in Bear history, if you want to just rip on a Bear. <laughs> yeah, twist that knife. Twist that knife. Oh, God. I, I just remember my roommate talking about the A-Train all the time, and it was so terrible. But And then, yeah, like the 2006 Bears, like they were actually kind of a good team. The defense was dominant, but like the offense wasn't even like – that's not a Super Bowl offense. It just – was carried by a defense, which then made the Bears fans that much more insufferable. So to have this happen again in 2010, where the Packers are having this great season, 
that's derailed by injuries, but it's a really good team. And you, everybody could tell, cause especially coming off the year before, that this was going to be a great team. And to have the Bears get in front of them, that's why it was so delicious to beat them in Chicago for the NFC title game. Because all along, we just you watched the games and you said the Bears aren't that good. They're just they're, this is not that good of a team. Their their defense is fine. It, it's a good defense, but the rest of the operation was just <laughs> bad. It, it wasn't it wasn't a good team and yeah so this last game of the season where i just the way i remember it was the bears just not putting up much of a fight and just sort of letting the packers win and it they they end up rolling to a 10 to 3 win and it like (laughs) rolling to i mean donald lee touchdown oh is that the is that the donald lee touchdown okay he had a couple one yarders this year and this was one of them so yes um and so the other thing about this game is it was pretty cold. Um, and that's when teams don't have anything to play for. Um, it, it Not one of the coldest games ever, but it was 19 degrees of kickoff. Um, it had a serious wind, as they often do. And when you uh, the Bears had locked up the division at that point, so they did not have a lot to play for. You're not going to get best efforts in a lot of situations when that's the case. Um, that cold starts to get into you a little bit. And it was just a defensive battle um, and kind of, Kind of a ridiculous, boring game, but the Packers did need it, and the Bears could have prevented the the Super Bowl winner um, if had they just decided to play a little harder, you know, tried to play a little harder. But it's not like they benched their guys like Cutler played in this game and got beat up kind of a lot. So <laughs> um, it's not like they were doing the the, the mail it in completely thing. They still had their starters out there, and uh, I think at some point the cold was just like, okay, I'm just going to avoid contact and. Um, roll into the playoffs next week, and hopefully the weather will be a little better kind of game. That's that's kind of how this rolled. Also, Eric Eric Walden in this game, um, forgotten, not that good Packer linebacker, just dominant, just just destroyed the Bear offensive line for some reason. Um, bunch oh. of massive sacks. Oh wow, Cutler took six sacks and yeah, they beat him two up picks. Good. Oh yeah, this is this is a classic one of those uh, Charles Woodson Jay Cutler games where he's you know <laughs> Jay Jay will be Jay, or what did what did he actually say? Uh, Jay gonna throw us the ball. Jay gonna throw us the ball. Yeah, Jay yeah, gonna throw us the ball. There we go. Eric Walden wasn't signed until October. I want October twenty fourth or fifth. Like it's right after that Vikings game against Brett Favre when they need they decided to add the linebacker. I mean, he was not even in the system. And same with De- you know Desmond Bishop. You mentioned him as valuable as he was. He wasn't. He wasn't a guy they were relying on coming into the year. But you know everybody got hurt. Brady Papinga was out for the year. Brandon Chiller missed a bunch of games <laughs> early. Uh, Frank Zombo was was injured at times. Clay Matthews was was unstoppable, but he, he did have he did have a hamstring here and there. So, Frank like Zombo. they needed they needed a they needed a guy, and Eric Walden turned out to be, I mean, not mentioned I would say as one of the great street free agents in Packers history, <laughs> but maybe should be because he was he was awesome. My favorite stat from this Bears game. Their, their leading receiver, Johnny Knox, by far their leading receiver that year. Oh, oh man, this is so good. I forgot. Targeted eight times, zero catches. <laughs> <laughs> Was Chuck on him? He must have been. Uh, I don't know how they schemed him, but uh, Cutler, I mean, Cutler had a rating of 43 and a half. Like you said, six, six sacks, which doesn't matter in the rating, but six sacks, two interceptions, no touchdowns. I mean, you know, not only did they know that they were going to be in the playoffs, they knew they had a bye. So, like, they knew that next week was a break. Why are you gonna, you know, just like let's get out of here, let's get out of Chicago and take a take a break, a breather, and let let other teams beat up on each other. So uh, 
like I said earlier, that win that Philadelphia, that win that the Vikings had over Philadelphia to to wrap up things before, you know, they knew going into that game that they didn't have to play for anything, and that had to help the Packers. Yep, absolutely. That I'm sure it did. Uh, weather a big factor in a lot of Packer Bear games this year, actually. Um, a lot of Packer Bear games where I think nobody wanted to be there, especially when things started to turn on everybody. So, um, and uh, I, I, this, this I, I'm up right. I, this last pick of the, the draft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I'm gonna actually go to the 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 second Packer Bear game, the third Packer Bear game. Sorry, the playoff Packer Bear game. And um, there are a lot of plays in this game, a, a lot of huge plays, um, a lot of memorable ones. But the one that always gets me is. Um, Brian Urlacher picks off Aaron Rodgers and is oh, man. very, very close to breaking it for a pick six. And Rodgers just shoestrings him a little bit and gets him down. And um, without that, I mean, it's not like it would have put the Bears ahead or anything, but it would have gotten right back into the game. Without that, I think it's a completely different game. You don't ever want to throw a, a, you know, a, a, an interception at all, but that little bit of defense on there made a ton of difference. It was also just a, uh, a great feat of Rodgers to actually do it. So um, it was intended for driver. Um, they would, the bears would end up punting on the next drive. So it did save like a touchdown. It just affected field position. Um, Packers up 14, nothing. And um, they wouldn't really score again for a long time. The bears would cut it to 14, uh, seven. It would have been, you know, they would have been right back in the game. And I feel like Erlocker got um, Rodgers quite a bit. Um, and uh, I, I the fact that Rodgers was just Johnny on the spot there and kind of saved the season again um, in an unusual way was just awesome. So um, uh, love that play a ton. Man, Todd Collins played in that game for the Bears. Goodness. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Did I had... Todd Collins get hurt? I mean, there's a reason why they went to Caleb Haney. I think they ultimately just went to Caleb Haney because they thought he was better than Todd Collins. I guess that's right. I'd fr- I thought it was straight to Haney. I, I did not remember the Todd Collins series yeah, he of that. Yeah, third game. string. Cutler, <laughs> and, and I think, and I don't remember this, I haven't done a deep dive on any of the playoff games yet, but oh if my. I recall, Cutler gets hurt, and then by, by electing to go to Haney, I believe the, the rule is that you can go to your third string quarterback, but he's not like technically active. So in doing that, you, you basically put make Todd Collins inactive uh, going forward. I think you have to sacrifice the other quarterback. I don't remember that for sure. So yeah, there is definitely a third quarterback rule there. You're right. Right. Um, and I'm pretty sure that's what they activated because they felt like he gave them the best chance. I remember Todd Collins got on the field and was, I think just completely ineffective. Well, he, that, so he quarterbacked the drive after that pick and yeah, he just threw three terrible incompletions and they punted. So that is correct. And Caleb Haney may not be better, but Todd Collins was the, pretty washed by that point <laughs> i mean um, i have a question nice here. job scouting quarterbacks bears well done you did your usual fantastic job of it and it cost you a playoff game he's 0 for 4 and he has a 39.6 passer rating how does that work <laughs> how do you get a number out of like literally nothing you've you've completed oh, zero passes um, if you throw interceptions it goes lower than that it, it, oh the, okay if you never complete a pass, uh, I mean, actually, I think that's maybe wrong because if you don't complete a pass, I thought your rating was supposed to be like fifty-three point eight or something like that. Um, but yeah. I, I don't care because pass ratings dumb. So okay, um, yeah, it, it, it is the weirdest stat that exists. <laughs> it was a, it was a good early attempt at sabermetrics before they knew to scale things to a hundred or average or anything like that. Yeah, and it, it's not super terrible. It's just it's been outdone by a lot of other things that are more useful now, like QBR. Um, it is still, no, no, it's better than QBR. See, that, that's. <laughs> it was a joke, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
Any other uh, honorable mentions we should throw in before we completely uh, move on? I did want to mention Driver's um, huge reception in the 49ers game, uh, ah. which was one of the last hurrahs of Driver as sort of a dominant player. I was at that game and um, got to see it kind of from the, the rear end zone shots and see him just shrug off two 49ers simultaneously, jettisoning them over his back and, and, and housing that. Um, that play was phenomenal. It was kind of it was really the last truly great driver play where he um, made a downfield play and broke tackles and things like that. So um, outstanding play. They weren't really in a ton of danger in that game. It was close early, but the 49ers quarterback in that game was Troy Smith um, of Ohio state fame. And Mm -hmm. so they never really seriously threatened, but that play was incredible. Um, And everybody thought driver was going down when uh, it looked like they threw it into traffic. You had guys all around him. And just pulled like a, a great feat of athleticism to basically like judo throw guys off of his back <laughs> and excel- accelerates like a young man. So that play was phenomenal. I'll, I'll always love that play out of driver. I think we can give a shout out too to the 45 to 7 win over the Dallas Cowboys. Granted, this is a bad Cowboys team. <laughs> this is a, a John Kitna Cowboys team. <laughs> so yeah, Romo must have been hurt. Was he out for the season at that point? That had to be it, right? I think so. That really did have to be it. Yeah, because they were one and seven. They were a terrible team. But anytime you beat the Dallas Cowboys forty-five to seven, it it brings a smile to your face, and it is a it's a nice thing. Yeah, yeah one of the rare, I would say, bad games is the Cowboys game. You know, the Bills game in week two and the Cowboys game are kind of the two sort of I would say least interesting games on the docket. Um, I, I, a couple small things week one against Philadelphia, they, they knocked Kevin Cobb out of the game. That's the first year after Donovan McNabb knocking Kevin Cobb out of the game winds up sort of setting the stage for Michael Vick taking over as starting quarterback and, you know, sort of, sort of potentially set the state, you know, set the Packers up to be bounced from the playoffs because Vic was pretty effective in the, in the postseason game in the uh, wild card round. But of course the Packers prevailed anyway. So uh, that would have been just sort of a weird bit of serendipity. And uh, the first time they met the Falcons regular season, that's right after Thanksgiving, really strange game. They racked up like 418 yards, I think, and only scored 17 points. Did not, uh, did not win that game. Lost 20 to 17. Uh, that was in Atlanta. That probably should have been a harbinger of what was to come that, that, that the Packers could hold their own in Atlanta and uh, obviously they played in all three venues that they wound up playing in the postseason of course being the sixth seed they famously went on the road for all three of their playoff games before the Super Bowl they played in Chicago they played in uh, uh, in Atlanta in Philadelphia during the regular season went two and one in those places or no did they sweep nope this yeah that last game wasn't that yeah no. so they went two and one in those locations of the regular season and then uh, you know they went one and two but every, every game was competitive although that was the Burner Turner years for Atlanta. Okay. All right. Oh, man, I forgot about him. Yeah, Atlanta had a good little streak there of just burning running backs up, and you never heard of him again. It was the Jamal Anderson effect um, just over and over and over and over. So, yeah, Michael Turner, one one and done. Fantasy legend. Good guy. He was. <laughs> <sighs> I love the 2010 season. <laughs> it's so good. It tells such a nice story. And there's so many like crossing storylines with other teams. Like they have the Jets and the 49ers games in there too. So there's even like AFC connections to what would happen later. And yep. um, they like get a chance against everybody and then they get to get revenge on everybody um, or take advantage of things they have learned about the teams. Like the, the bears um, like, like that game is such a quintessential Packer bears game where 
their offense is bad. Jay Cutler, pull, like Bears fans still hate Jay Cutler for that game because they still think he wasn't hurt. And just there's still pictures that go around of him moping on the sidelines, looking like a sad sack. But that's just how Jay Cutler looks. It's not his fault. That's just how he was born. Um, but uh, but they, they end up with a like Jay Cutler is legitimately one of the best quarterbacks in Bear history. And if they were going to make it, that was probably the year it was going to happen. But they end up with Caleb Haley and Caleb Haney and Todd Collins because that's how the Bears roll. They can't have a good quarterback in the playoffs. Um, they still get a good play out of Erlocker, um, but the Packers come through in the end. It's just such a great season. Uh, just phenomenal. So good. And I do think they would have beaten the Patriots. All right. Should we do some some quick recent news, take a few questions, and yeah, get on out of let's here? Let's fast forward a decade and ch- chat very briefly about this Packers team. Yes. So um, a, a couple of big mo- biggish moves. Um, they do get Kamal Martin and Equinemius St. Brown, because um, you died. They do get Kamal Martin and Equinemius St. Brown back from um, IR. Um, everybody's excited about EQ, um, especially with Lazard still out. So we'll get to see what, if anything, he's able to do um, fully healthy. Um, and can't be bad adding another inside linebacker back into the fold either. Although with Chris Barnes, less important than it used to be. Um, yeah, but with Christian Kirksey out for forever, yeah. it, it, some, it's nice. Some depth is nice there. It, it's nice to have some people who can actually stand there and maybe even look pretty good. Um, actually, working on a working on a piece right now, um, breaking down their defense a little bit further because um, Arkan's been doing his garbage time review and pointing out that they're actually really good outside of garbage time. And the Packers have some weird splits too on their their coverage where. They're like uh, the ninth best team against number one receivers and the second best team against slot receivers. And they're horrible against running backs, catching the ball, but that's all Alvin Kamara. And if you take Alvin Kamara out, they're not that bad. And they're, they have had an inefficient season against tight ends. So they rank low against tight ends. But if you follow, if you play fantasy football, you know, all tight ends are garbage this year um, with very few exceptions. And so DVOA is scaled to average, and the average tight end in the NFL right now is terrible. So um, if you look at the Packers, the other thing is that they funnel a lot of targets to the tight end, and they've allowed like some efficiency there. Like They don't really force many incompletions, but they only let them pick up like eight yards a catch, and it's like a fake bad stat for them. Like You would, you would want teams to keep throwing to their tight ends because, like I said, most tight ends are garbage. Um, next game included without O.J. Howard there. Um, the Buccaneers have Cameron Braid and very, very old Rob Gronkowski. So if they target their tight ends a lot, that's fine. But um, good news getting some guys back. Um, hopefully everybody's rested up from the bye. And Tampa's the best team they've played so far. So it should be a fun one. I was thinking about the podcast watching Monday Night Football, uh, watching the Saints, Kamara again, because I, I, I had advocated that we shouldn't be too worried that, that they can't tackle. That's not the most important thing, especially for guys in the secondary, namely Jair Alexander in this case, who... <laughs> Flew into Alvin Kamara and Kamara just bounced off of him and ran to a touchdown of a very memorable beast quake, re, you know, redux against the Packers. And then Marshawn Lattimore comes up and makes this textbook tackle to save the game in overtime on Mike Williams. <laughs> he sure did. It's like, well, maybe I'm the idiot here because that was a <laughs> hell of a tackle and it won him the game. Uh, so, uh, so maybe I should just uh, stop talking. It's important if you let guys catch it. That's for sure. If you, if you never let him catch it, like Jair usually doesn't, then less important. Yes. The Deion Sanders rule, like, Never made a tackle in his life. Still one of the best players ever. <laughs> yes. Indeed. All right. So first question is from Dan Salsa. Have we had a question from Dan Salsa before? We have not. This is new. First time. Yes. Welcome to well, the show. Well, welcome, Dan. Uh, as unlikely as it is to actually happen, are there any potential in-season trades you'd like to see happen? Ooh. So 
Um, it, first of all, yeah, you're right. Trades basically never happen. And it's just hard. So the, it's hard to think to find anybody like who's a good scheme fit, who's also coming off a salary or who's coming like uh, on the last year of his contract, has a salary that's tradable and on a team that's bad enough that they'll be willing to part with them. Um, so the one place that you might give a call, and I got to look up salary really quick here, and I'm going to do that on the side, is Houston because they're in shambles and rebuilding, and they fired Bob. Um, that's Bill O'Brien, not a guy named Bob. Um, we, we call him Bob because we, we need a quick way to refer to him because he's insane. Um, and you might try kicking the tires on some of their receivers. The one I'm just checking on. Brandon Crooks is who you're talking about, right? Well, he, I think, might be too expensive. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, darn it. I was So I wanted to see if they could get Randall Cobb back. Um, but Ooh. but they cannot. Um, he he makes too much money. Good for Randall. Um, can, cannot be cut until after next season without Get the a bag, buddy. punitive one. Um, but there, there's not. Oh, it's so hard to identify because it's, there's also not a ton of teams that are out of it right away, and the ones that are don't really have that many good players, which um, which is why you know they're bad. If they did, then yes. So if they could find somebody with a couple, like a good inside linebacker to like athletic, that would be something to target. But uh, it, it, there's not, I, there's nobody specific that's going to be available. And on a car, it's such a rare combo, like to actually have a guy on, uh, on a movable contract on a bad team that knows it's bad. And that's actually willing to, to, to make moves. Like do you want, do you want any giants receivers? I don't, they're terrible. And that's why they're 0 and 5, among other things. Um, Atlanta is not going to trade like Julio or anything like that, and he's hurt. Like that's that's the other thing. A lot of these guys on their later contracts, like Mohamed Sanu's out there. If you wanted to go get him, but he's old, washed up, and and there's just no reason to pick him up at this point. And even teams like the Chargers, who are in last, um, they're not out of it. They're they're one in four. That team is actually really good. So um, pulling off any of those trades is going to be tough. Like. And we generally don't see a lot of NFL trades anyway. Like that's this is the reason why, though. Like it's so hard to make a trade in the NFL. And I wonder um, if this year we're going to see even less because of COVID. Like, yeah, because teams it's are going like to be a six day wait to even get these people in your building. Yeah, teams are going to be hesitant to bring in somebody new that they don't know. That who knows what they've been exposed to, and mm-hmm. those sorts of issues are are something new that we haven't dealt with before. So I would yeah. imagine it's going to be really quiet at the deadline. Yeah, and like Le'Veon Bell just got cut, but he's a washed-up old running back. You don't want him. You could probably get A.J. Green out of Cincinnati. I think he's washed up. He's been an attitude problem this year. There's some very bad Cutler-esque tape of him um, on an interception, um, like fake running after the guy who caught it, and then like char- doing a quick cut away from the contact. It's great. Um, so uh, it's just a hard thing to find guys to trade for. And um uh, maybe if I did some deep dive into contracts and loser teams, I could have dug somebody up. But um, it's it's still early this time too. Like it, it, like Denver too. Like all their the guys are either hurt or rookies at wide receiver, and maybe they they have a decent defense with some aging guys. You could maybe price somebody off there. Actually, trading with Elway is probably not a bad idea. He's a pretty stupid GM. But I I just I don't know. It, that's a, it's a tricky thing to do. You just need a good fit of of losers with cheap talent and that combination doesn't arise very often so mm-hmm. wish i could give you a more specific answer but uh it takes a lot of spreadsheet work to actually find assets out there in the nfl <laughs> um and and find guys who are actually willing to make deals like that it's it's better off just to wait and see who gets cut down the line uh, um released see if you can find your ra- random andre risens 
um, than actually giving up assets. So, well, do you uh, think there'll be? Are there any names that jump to mind as possibilities there? Guys who get cut that might enter the fray, or does that just depend on which teams do well? Um, it mostly just depends on which teams end up doing well down the line. Um, yeah, I, I, I am just not sure who's going to wind up out there. I was trying to do some Denver work really quick because they're, I, I think the Jets we know are bad, but they have no, no good players. The Broncos actually do have some talent on their team, but I'm also confident that they are going to continue to be bad. So they're probably a good team to target. Just got to find the right uh the right contract there but sure they've so uh, so i'm just scrolling through right now so many of their guys are unmovable <laughs> it, it, it's really incredible how, how many how much money that they have handed out um even brandon mcmanus gets paid a lot there that's ridiculous don't pay your kicker <laughs> that much why would you do that don't do that um anyway uh, sorry i can't give you a more concrete answer it's just a it's a hard thing to find and um it's it's really hard to predict. Like even the trades that do happen are usually like, oh my goodness, what did you get out of Bill O'Brien? Like the the Hopkins for Johnson trade, like nobody could predict that. No. <laughs> uh, my advice on trades is always, you should routinely call other general managers that you know to be stupid with trades <laughs> that are ridiculous, because every once in a while they'll take them, and uh, that's the worst thing about O'Brien being gone because that can no longer happen. So very sad. <laughs> All right, let, let's do the next one. Sorry, I couldn't give you more concrete answers. Right. There's not going to be any trades. There's never any trades, especially the Packers. <laughs> From Justin Sayan, Sayan, how concerned should we be about Brown County being a significant COVID-19 hotspot at the same time the Packers have a bye week? I assume players are staying in town, but that seems like a tough position to be put in. Uh, I'll, I'll answer this real quick. I mean, I, I think most NFL players are barely leaving the house at all, even to go grocery shopping. I got to think they've got people to help them out with that. Um, or they're doing the, you know, the, the pickups pickup option where, you know, the, the employees do the shopping for you and put them in the back of your car. So, uh, I, I know that the players spoke about how much it sucked that they weren't going to be able to go out and do fun stuff. I, I, I don't imagine that the environment is as bad for, for people who are really dedicated to staying, staying at home as I imagine the vast majority of these players are. But I mean, of course it's a concern. It's a concern in any number of hotspots across the country. And right now the, the state of Wisconsin is really really struggling particularly green bay and the fox valley so uh, so yeah it's a concern but uh I, I don't personally think it's any more of a concern than it is just anywhere but you know yeah it's, it's if anything, green bay might actually pay, play to your favor a little bit in this scenario um to the extent there are players there this is not meant as a rip but there's nothing to do in green bay because one of the reasons wisconsin has been so um afflicted lately is because there's too much to do like bars mm-hmm. have been open and whatnot the thing about Green Bay, though, is it's a small community, and uh, if you are seen out, um, somebody's going to find out about it. There's no way to do it anonymously. Everybody knows who the Packers are there. If you try to do anything and break curfew or do anything irresponsible, um, you're going to be spotted. So th- there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, it, it, it's a worry, though. I mean, if it only takes one person um, cheating the system to infect the whole team, and Wisconsin is bad enough where, you know, your odds of running into a random COVID affected person are pretty high. So it's not like no concern. Um, But uh, at least the the tight knit community there should help dissuade things a little bit. Well, NFL security is sort of notoriously hard assed and I don't know, like (laughs) really, really uh, invasive. Like there's all these stories of, you know, people having their, their movements tracked by NFL security. Like, I can't imagine that during this time that that has 
lessened in any way. I, I <laughs> can only imagine that it's ratcheted up to the 10th degree. So I would imagine that they probably feel pretty, pretty locked down. Like they really can't go out or risk getting into some serious hot water from the organization that they're in, especially if you're, you know, not a guy who's established on a big contract or whatever. If you're just roster fodder, I can't imagine those guys feeling like they can really risk potentially being a guy that brings an outbreak into the team. So if they want to continue to play. I think it's naive to think that the Packers won't be affected at some point this season. I mean, you see the cascading effect from what happened with Tennessee with games getting moved around all the different games that had to be matched, you know, moved around changed so that Pittsburgh because Pittsburgh and Tennessee don't have the same off week. And, you know, the Patriots there got, got an, you know, got some COVID problems. So it's going to affect the Packers, whether it's guys on the Packers or just because the teams they were going to play are indirectly or directly affected. It's, it's going to come into play. I mean, I, I don't, you know, baseball had the early problems and then finished the season. So I, I, I can't say with certainty that the NFL is going to continue to have these mini outbreaks, if that's what you want to call them, mini outbreaks. But, yep. um, but I, I mean, there <laughs> don't count on the Packers schedule that you see on your fridge as being what actually happens. Nope, absolutely not. And you know, even if they're not involved directly with anything, um, there's so many knock-on effects when a team is exposed. Like we saw how many games they had to reschedule last week. And I assume there's also a limit to how many times the NFL could do mass reschedules before they have to do something really yeah, crazy. They're so, going to have to add weeks to the schedule. Uh, almost certainly. Almost there's going to be a week 18, at least. Yeah. I, yeah. There I, has to be. I can't believe they haven't done that already. It seems like the easiest solution in the world. I mean, yeah. it's not like you have to tell a bunch of fans to reschedule. You don't. <laughs> why did Why did they not just build in a second bye week? I mean, that would have added so much flexibility. I, I'm so confused why they did not think of this. They clearly didn't think about this very hard. There's no second bye week. Their first bye week is far too early. Like, what if the Packers do? Are, there's no bye week to work with for right. the Packers anymore. It's gone. They shouldn't have started bye weeks this early. Like maybe after six, seven weeks, start doling out the bye weeks. But you can yes. you can manage it so that it's whatever. It doesn't matter. They they screwed it up. I wonder if the uh, longer you them. wait to start bumping things to like a week eighteen, the the more you try to force everything to fit into the schedule, the the less cascading effects you're going to have on the end. Maybe if that makes sense, like. If you're if you're starting to immediately just go, OK, well, we'll throw that to week 18 and then a team has a secondary outbreak or something like that. Now you're yeah. really kind of screwed. So you try to keep it until you absolutely have to push something to a week 18. You don't do it. But once you do that, you are freed up a little bit to start doing it a little bit more freely. Yep, indeed. Christopher Carlecki says, you were talking about this, have people gone overboard with the EQ hype just as they did with another young lad in Sternberger with injuries, et cetera, long off season with COVID, wasn't doing much in camp anyways, according to anyone there. I mean, we just don't know a lot about St. Brown, what he's going to bring to the table. I, I personally would be surprised if he's even active on game one, uh, now that he's finally practicing. You know, he hasn't practiced, so I, I, I don't know if we're even going to see him right away, but, uh, but I don't know. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I think he gets overhyped still quite a bit on hope. Um, it, I, I've always liked him better than MBS. They're different kinds of receivers, but he hasn't done anything. So everybody kind of projects on to him what they want him to be and have been saying things like, oh, they didn't need to get a receiver. They have him coming back. But like St. Brown, or like, like Valdez Scantling, he was a late round pick too. And he's a super good athlete, but he's got a weird development history and he hasn't really shown it in games. I, I, people have told me he's flashed in games a few times. 
he's caught a few passes in games a few times, but he hasn't looked like a dynamic force or anything like that. Uh, he's never had a game anything close to what Lazard's had in his career. So I, I think people do overrate him a little bit. Now, he is a physical specimen. Um, he is one of these other guys, like we talked about last week with, uh, with Tanyan, who's one of the most athletic guys on the team, um, like everybody else on the team. But uh, so there's, there's that. He's a giant. He's 6'4". Um, he's, he's, he's a little smaller than Lazard, but he's in the ball, ballpark with him. So if they want to use him in a similar way to how they use Lazard, he just slot right in there. And he is potentially a good player, but we don't know anything. He's done nothing. And until anybody does something on the field, we don't jack about them. So um, hopefully he's good. But yeah, people are overrating them. And it's still a problem that they don't have better replacements for um, Adams and Lazard when they're out. We, we talked real briefly about the 2020 receiver class. Not real briefly. We talked at length about how the Packers still probably missed a pretty good opportunity by not drafting a guy in the 2020 class. Uh, seems like the reinforced again for me this week because of how good those receivers have been. CD lamb had a huge game. Um, there's just, a, there's just a lot of flashy performances from those guys. We didn't though. We sort of talk about them as a whole. I mean, it's also important to point out the Packers, didn't have a lot of those guys available for them at the, at the draft spot. Now, like Chase Claypool who had four touchdowns on Sunday. He was a second round pick. He was obviously available <laughs> They trade up to get obviously Jordan love. And that sort of changes everything. But yeah. you know, when Ayuk went in the pick before they ended up getting for Jordan love, you know, I, I see, I wonder if they would have just taken Ayuk if he had been available, they would have traded up for him. And, uh, and that would have changed, you know, the course of history, the guys who were taken after Jordan love, not as flashy, I mean, there's a couple that are doing fine, but like there, it's not like there are guys that the Packers could have taken and flat missed on in the receiver class, at least not yet. That is true. Without moving up, um, Ayuk was definitely the end of a good tier of player. And um, they, they couldn't have just, outside of not taking um, love and doing something like getting Claypool, they couldn't have just stood pat and gotten like a good value there. They would have had to do something creative. I do think they would have taken Ayuk if, if he would have gotten one more pick. Um, there's been rumors to that effect, and I do think that's what they were shooting for. So we'll never know. There's no way to ever tell, but uh, I, I do think that that's what they had in mind, and Love just happened to be the next guy on the board, and um, that's, that's how things worked out. So we shall see. So Jonathan, deal with a question semi-related. Does the development of Josh Allen and production of Justin Herbert show any positive outlooks for Jordan Love, the guy that I, they did end up taking? I like this one because the answer is definitely yes. Um, uh, Herbert is especially like uh, on my cutoffs for, for how I evaluate quarterbacks, just with stats, just, just missed. And usually like big, he's a big, tall, he's a big, tall doofus is what I like to call those guys. Uh, and, we did not have to do much passing in college. Yeah. And who was not that impressive in college, especially his senior year. And you, you really don't like to see guys take a step back in their senior year, unless there's a really good reason for it. So, um, the fact that NFL scouts were able to identify him as no, he's still going to be good. And he's been coached down at Oregon versus what he should be doing. Um, it is a good sign that a, that evaluation is getting better and B that development's getting better. Like we've seen this in baseball too, that, that hitting and pitching development has taken a quantum leap forward from what it used to be even like five years ago. And there's no reason that something similar can't happen with quarterbacks, especially with sort of more college offenses, coming into vogue uh, like the Packer offense getting guys you know college open versus NFL open like it's an easier offense to play in than it used to be so um, Josh Allen's another good example too because he is the kind of um, college prospect that almost always fails that 
Um, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in college. Had a giant arm. We've seen those guys fail so many times in the past. Like Kyle Bowler is the prototypical example of it. Giant arm guys just tend not to work out. And uh, the Bills are just getting the most out of him. But legs and arms, he's gotten a ton more accurate. Something that I really didn't think you could develop before Josh Allen. Uh, or just it was super rare. So love again, not a great prospects by my num- prospect by my numbers. Good junior year, rough senior year. Don't like to see that. Don't like to see decline. There's some good reason for it in the weapons he lost. But um, uh, I mean, I am definitely less certain in my pronouncements of college quarterbacks being bad than I was before based on those two. So yeah, that's a good sign. So um, if- does love have an advantage in that he is pretty athletic? much like Allen, where Allen is a very athletic quarterback, does that give him more hope to develop that way? So the one thing I'll say is I do think his athleticism is a little bit overstated. Um, he Jordan loves an okay athlete, but he's not like a super great athlete. He was really a pocket passer in college more than he was a scrambler. Um, and good, like, he's got a good arm, um, but he, I don't think he's a good comp for, for, uh, for Allen, um, Allen's his own, th- like Allen's a really an athletic freak, like one of the best arms ever. Very, very fast. Like if Taysom Hill could actually play quarterback, that's what that guy is. Um, lo- loves good, um, good vertical jump. Okay. Bad three cone in 20 yard though. Um, so he's not a bad athlete, but he's not like a, a generational athlete. And that's what Allen is. So, um, by the way, fun, fun, Jordan love fact, um, his closest co- uh, comp on mock draftables which is a very silly thing to look at because it's not predictive in any way but his closest mock draftables comp is joel stave so um, oh no <laughs> yeah. speaking of joel stave let's get into a couple of the fun questions before we wrap up uh right. from from noted badgers aficionado and patron saint of this podcast andy Schaff. <laughs> what live song most sums up 2020 Packers and why this is deriv- this is off of a of a Twitter conversation yesterday discussing the band the 90s band lives very bizarre lyrics <laughs> which song most sums up the 2020 Packers you you went with selling the drama which I think is a good one I think it, it's selling the drama um, because basically they've just blown people out and there hasn't actually been that much drama <laughs> um, and uh, so I, I just like it for that reason I don't want th- Going into live lyrics is just not a good place to go, and I don't really think there's <laughs> there's there's not great lyrics underneath selling the drama. It's more the concept of, at the high level. Um, so a, a lot of the other live songs that I tried to apply were either grotesque or not quite applicable, um, or like mirror songs, just lame and um, too on the nose. I, so I, I'm I'm just gonna go with selling the drama there. I, what was Andy had a suggestion too? I should have had that. Hand. Was he the one who suggested Shit Town? No, uh, and and I mean they're not shit town. That's just a bad company. He was not um, uh, on the. So this is way too in the weeds, but it's the end of the podcast and nobody's listening. No one's so, listening. Um, we, we I ran some polls last night for what which live the band not uh, you know, live the band song has the worst lyrics, and I forgot to put shit town on that list, which is silly of me because shit town actually has the worst lyrics, um, other than white discussion, which actually has the worst lyrics. So um, th- that's that's my bad. Um, I wanted to say white discussion, but it's so horrible. I didn't want to curse the Packers by coming up with a way to compare them to it. Um, it's it's a it's an atrocious song that doesn't have a real ending, and you don't want the Packers to be an atrocious team that doesn't have a real ending. So, oh, good point. Uh, we'll we'll go with selling the drama there. I think that that's probably the best that you're going to get there. Um, Andy's was run to the water, which I don't rem- I don't know that one that well. Um, 
Run to the water. Uh-oh, I'm singing on the podcast. It must be late. <laughs> yeah, we should probably wrap up. We are la, late. Na, 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 na. It's very poppy. Very pop song. Yes. In a moment, we lost our minds here and dreamt the world was round. A million mile fall from grace. Thank God we missed the ground. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for supplying lyrics. Um, uh, Dude, live lyrics are terrible. They're yeah, just so bad. Wow. Just awful. Just awful. Well, as long as the placenta isn't falling to the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Very famous one. I got nothing else for live. I yeah, I can't compare anything live says to anything in real world. <laughs> makes no sense. That's fine. So okay, so, let's let's get out of here. It's well, uh, wait, it's one late. last thing. There's oh, one no. more from Tim Braun. Speaking of Twitter discussions, your most controversial food take. Oh goodness. Okay. Um, so uh, Jared and I both had ones we got yelled at a lot for the other day. So I'll just revisit that one, which is that um, I don't like steak. Um, and I like steak as an ingredient in other things like burritos or Japanese curry. But I don't like steak just at like a steakhouse. I had a bunch of people yell at me like, well, you have to just you have to say like what kind of steak? Because there's lots of different kinds of steak and they all taste different. Like, no, they don't. They all taste the same. Um, like, like it's like not liking red wine. There's lots of different kinds of red wine. But if you don't like red wine, you won't like any of the kinds. So I just don't like steak. Um, that, that's my most controversial one. I think it's super overrated. It's uh, ridiculously expensive for no good reason. And you'd be better off having any kind of random one-off ethnic food of some kind or something you've never tried before. So that's mine. What's yours, Ryan? Chocolate is crap. Oh my God. Ooh, chocolate is crap. <laughs> I mean, and this goes back to me as a child who I, there's pictures of me as a little kid eating like a chocolate cake with all over my face. But from the time I can remember, I've had an intense food aversion to it to the point that like uh, at various points in my life, just the smell of it would cause me to become uh, irpy. <laughs> so <laughs> like, wow. Yeah. I actually ruined a, a family camping trip in by throwing up in a tent with just the smell of chocolate so yeah i can't understand that just it's it's a weird thing but and it's not uncommon in my family like my youngest brother also really like he doesn't have the intense aversion to it but he he doesn't like it either so it's not uncommon in my family but oh god i love chocolate i love it too much (laughs) that's amazing yeah, mine got me really excori- excoriated on Twitter. Holy smokes. Uh, I just sure expressed did. that I do not enjoy eating burgers, brats, Polish sausage, macaroni and cheese, or hot dogs. I will not even touch a hot dog. I most I, I, I will mostly not eat brats. Sometimes I just, if I'm hungry, I'll do it. Don't do burgers if I can help it, you know, unless there's like really just nothing else. I just find it all gross. I can't explain it. I know it's common wisconsin food but you know i wasn't telling anybody else what to eat you you know it's yeah. fine so Sometimes what do I just you eat potato JR? salad what well, you like i mean if it's at a if it's at a barbecue i'll eat i'll eat anything chicken chicken's great and then potato you know potato salad sides whatever i can handle just chips i can live i can live through a meal with just <laughs> chips it's fine i mean it's not healthy but neither is the meat itself so like what does it matter all right, that's as good a, as a place to any to end. People can yell at us for our food opinions. It's it's really what Twitter was built for is yelling at people sure. for food opinions, 100%. or or determining what people's unpopular opinions are about various popular topics. <laughs> yeah, that seems to be a common thing in COVID. Eric Alper's powers have never been more uh, have never been more <laughs> pronounced. The guy who just like throws out queries for people to sort of respond to and they all catch fire and, and they're engaging. I enjoy them, but, uh, but it is, it is an odd niche of social media. Indeed. 
All right. Quick plugs and then let's get out. JR, have anything fun? Oh, man. I mean, at this point, an hour six of the podcast. Yep. Uh, I, I don't <laughs> it's think a long so. one. <laughs> um, I don't think so. You know, just going back to why, why we started talking about the 2010 season, I've got my weekly weekly rundown of those games. Uh, this week was a Washington loss. Next week will be a Miami loss. It's not a good time. We'll get better, uh, as you may or may not know. So uh, so just keep looking for that. That's at jsonline.com. Great coverage from our Packers team. I mean, if you're not listening to the Green 19 podcast with Tom Silverstein, and Jim Ozarski, you really should. They're great. They know their stuff uh, front to back, obviously. Uh, Pete Doherty. We, we've just got so many. Ryan Wood, Olivia Reiner, phenomenal Packers team. You should absolutely have a subscription to the Journal Sentinel for that alone. Uh, plenty of other reasons, too, but uh, lots of great Packers coverage. Indeed. Read it every morning, and we'll continue to start. Ryan, anything to plug? I'm going to plug baseball podcast real quick so I don't have to. Yeah, the uh, Milwaukee's Tailgate podcast last week, we covered the prop bet contest with Kyle Ashauer joining us to go over the results from this year's contest. So go ahead and give that a listen. We uh, we had some fun with that, and then the the result of it was unfortunate. But, you know, what are you going to do? Can't, can't <laughs> win them so all. So unfortunate. Can't win them all. And it's a good thing to talk about that at the back of this podcast because nobody will hear it again. So, um, about who won and we're not saying it, we're not saying his name. Um, anyway, um, I, I will have a piece up on acne packing company soon about the Packer defense. And later this week, um, I am going to write on a Buccaneers game that the Packers played in 1989, um, that they won on a last second kick by Chris Jackie. The reason I'm going to do it is, uh, it was before the green Bay Packers in 1989 had installed a shotgun package. And so they run a two-minute drill completely from under center the whole time. It is the slowest, most excruciating two-minute drill you've ever seen in your life. Um, it barely worked, and they ended up getting a field goal attempt because of an illegal hands-to-the-face penalty on the Buccaneers on the last play. It's also one of the worst games ever. Benny Testaverde threw five interceptions in the game. Um, and uh, I re- it's a great like Mystery Science Theater 3000-type game. It is hilarious from front to back. Nobody makes a competent play the whole time. And then you get to the Packers at, at the, you get to the end of the game with the Packers uh, in an obvious shotgun situation. And they're running plays from under center, empty backfield under center, which is just the dumbest thing I can imagine. Shotgun existed in the league for many, many years before 1989, like in Tecmo Super Bowl and Tecmo Bowl, like the 49ers and Broncos have shotgun packages in the video game. Uh, it, it's uh, it's crazy. So uh, looking forward to that later, too. Um, anyway, thank you all for joining us this week, and we will be back with, uh, after the actual next game. Did it take long to find me? I asked the faithful light. Oh, did it take long to find me? And are you gonna stay the night? I'm being followed by a moon shadow, moon shadow, moon shadow. Leaping and hopping on a moon shadow, moon shadow.